Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 484 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre and your host. We'll talk about all things to do with the world of writing, publishing, and how to succeed as an author or writer. So what have you guys been up to this week? I've had some interstate guests, so it's been a bit busy on the home front. And you know, it can disrupt your routine a bit, and I've realized how much I've grown to like routine. Before the pandemic, I had so many different things on and in so many different places to be, and often in different cities. These days, I still have a lot of different things on, but I don't have to travel anywhere as much as I used to, and I don't need to either, and I don't intend to go back to that lifestyle. I've loved the routine that I've developed, and now when it's disrupted, I find that it throws my productivity out of sorts. Previously, I used to just go with the flow and just, you know, get everything done that I needed to do. But now that I find that it throws my productivity a little bit out off kilter, I also know that I could be kidding myself, and I could be using that as an excuse for not ticking off everything or many things on my to-do list. Because the reality is that we can actually get quite a lot done in snatched time, which is a great word, a great term that Alison Tate used to talk a lot about. When we don't, it's often because we convince ourselves that we can't possibly achieve much in that small amount of snatched time. But the reality is that you can. You can achieve at least something. So anytime... I need to remind myself anytime I need that I get disrupted from my routine, I have to remind myself it's no excuse. I just need to utilize that time that I do have. Anyhow, let's move on to our writing tip for this week. This is a kind of kill your darlings thing. So sometimes you might include something in your story that really happened in real life. But when other people read it, they say something like, that didn't seem believable or that would never happen. Now, You can stick to your guns and keep the scene or the dialogue or whatever it is, but your job as a storyteller is to make your story and your characters believable. Back in episode 222, we spoke with best-selling author Sally Hepworth about her novels. She'll often include real scenes from her own life and incorporate them into her stories, but that doesn't always mean that they're believable. When her beta readers read the manuscript, they'll say that they don't believe that something happened that way. And even though Sally knows that that is exactly how it happened because it actually happened to her, it doesn't matter. As Sally said, if someone doesn't believe it, then you're not doing your job the way you should be as a writer. So if you have a scene or a plot point or some dialogue that you drew on from real life, but it's just not working, you have to consider killing it or at least changing it to make it more believable. Telling a story is not the same as recounting facts verbatim. And that's true even if you're writing nonfiction or a memoir. Obviously, you have to stick to the facts in nonfiction, but there are ways to craft the text so that it does become more believable. If you're writing nonfiction and want to learn more about how to make your scenes believable, you should check out our course, Creative Nonfiction. It's a step-by-step course that will teach you the craft of writing compelling true stories that resonate with readers. You can find out more at writercenter.com.au slash creative nonfiction.
And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? This week's word of the week is deglutition. Deglutition. That's D-E-G-L-U-T-I-T-I-O-N. Deglutition. It's a noun for the act or process of swallowing. So you could say... The news of her pregnancy halted the deglutition of his coffee and he sprayed the brown liquid all over his breakfast plate. Now, of course, you probably wouldn't quite say it that way, but I kind of really like just like the word deglutition. See if you can use it this week in a sentence. And that was the word of the week. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au forward slash book. Let's move on to our writer in residence this week. I had an absolute ball chatting to Meredith Jaffe. Meredith is a fantastic Australian author. She has authored four novels for adults, the latest one being The Tricky Art of Forgiveness. She also wrote The Dressmakers of Yarrandarra Prison, The Making of Christina and The Fence. And she's author of two children's novels as well. Let's have a chat to Meredith on her writing process and her latest book, The Tricky Art of Forgiveness. Thanks so much for joining us today, Meredith. Thank you for having me, Valerie. I'm so excited about this book and so excited for you, The Tricky Art of Forgiveness. Now, so beautifully written. What a gorgeous, what a fantastic story. Um, Tell us, uh, for the readers who haven't got their copy of the book yet, what the book is about. The book is about facing up to the fact that even though you've been together forever, in this case, Diana and Will have been married for coming up to 30 years, that you still, marriage is so much about compromises and, and making exceptions and putting, you know, and, and often sacrifices to, to make that, to grease the wheels that make a marriage work. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to explore, you know, how you feel approaching your 30th wedding anniversary, your husband's turning 60, you're empty, you're empty nesting, you know, you've, you've done that thing where you've sold the family home, downsized to an apartment. But how does the rest of your life look? And I think mm. that is specifically I, I wanted to look at it from a woman's point of view. A, I am a woman. Um, B, because I think often it's the women who do the heavy lifting with the child raising and the, and the marriage compromises. And I wanted to look about it, uh, look at, at how she would look at a future with Will. And in the unravelling of that, is then the reader then discovers that they've got unfinished business from earlier in their marriage that is is coming back to bite them effectively. And Mm. and she needs to make a choice. Does she stay with him? Is 30 years under the table enough of a reason to not split up and to face all those issues that women often do in their mid-50s where, you know, you may not be economically independent in your own right um, and you may not even want to um, (laughs) repartner. Having looked 
after someone forever. I mean, I have to tell you, honestly, I have uh, two at home still. I have four, but two at home. And I constantly remind them, the moment Bo turns 18, I'm not cooking dinner every night. I'm not putting the meal on the table. You guys can start figuring it out. You know, all that sort of stuff, I guess, was, you know, I would like, I was about to say festering, perhaps, you know, percolating um, around, you know, what the marriage is once you don't have that glue of children and work and mm. those things that you've relied upon for, for decades. And it's so interesting because um, there's this cafe that I go to, you know, almost every day. And I am it, the clientele there. I'm surrounded by Dianas, and I want to go. Have you read this book because you're in it. <laughs> but you know, I think they think I was a bit weird. <laughs> but um, this is not a spoiler. Um, can you just tell people what the inciting incident is? You know, the thing that sort of sparks Diana's journey. Okay, so Diana's. They've just moved literally into the new apartment. It's a perfectly lovely apartment, um, surrounded by packing boxes, all that kind of stuff. And she's a bit shirty about it, to be honest, because Will is away on yet another business trip and she's left doing all the unpacking and getting their life sorted again. Uh, and she's folding, she's unpacking a box of jumpers and sweaters and things like that to put in his drawer and a note, a fragment of a note falls out of one of his sweaters and it just has the words, I forgive you, written on it. In his handwriting, it's on hotel letterhead, but she's got no idea whether this is something that's old, something from the past, or whether it's something he hasn't been telling her about right now. And that sets in motion the whole relationship unravelling um, that, that goes on from the rest of the book. So that's sort of almost like a few pages in on Chapter mm, 1. Yes, yes. And so what sparked the idea? Why did you decide, was there something, you know, a, a, a particular incident in your life that triggered, I'm going to write about this? Definitely not the note uh, side of things, although some of the other terrible stuff that happens in the novel, but definitely that feeling of being, you know, in my mid-50s and thinking about those issues that I just touched on about what marriage is, what you want it to be, what it might be in the future, will it change now when the kids all go? And as I said, I've got like kids from, uh, what are they now, 14 to 31. So I've done a lot of parenting. Mm -hmm. um, and it's fascinating already. Like you talk about being in a cafe surrounded by Dianas. I've had so many women already go to me, oh, we're 54 years this year. And there's always this sort of note of penance, you know, like it is hard grass. <laughs> to spend you know, your adult life with a single person. And I don't, I'm not talking about fidelity necessarily, but so much as the, the daily rub of being together. Um, and not everyone, I mean, it's lovely when you hear about people, you know, I've been married for 60 years and we're still madly in love, but I don't know if that's necessarily representative of most people's feelings around their long-term relationships. Mm. And so in this book, you've got, kind of like two timeline, not two timelines, but, you know, two, you jump from the present, um, Diana's life now, and back to then when she was younger. And did you um, write them in that way, in that linear fashion, or did you determine Diana's younger life and her older life and then intersperse them? No, what I did, I, I, what I did was I wrote a story plan. So I, that's a 
I have, it's only a new process for me, for those of you who are budding writers. Like I've always been quite good at pantsing and I've always been, I've always, with the novel before that, The Dressmakers of Yarrandara Prison, I did a very rough kind of who was going to do what to whom and, and quite honestly, most of that got thrown out of the window by the time it became an actual book. So with this one, I knew I was on a really tight deadline as well for the publisher, so I thought I'll write a story plan and get the what the hell is it all about stuff because as many writers know you often get to sort of 30 40,000 words and run out of puff and go oh god I don't know what happens next you know I just know where it has to end so I um had actually written the story plan from uh, in chronologically as it were as in I knew we're starting here then we're going to the past then we're going here then we're going so I actually did write it I know a lot of writers write the present and then they write the past and then they interweave yeah. that or or if they're doing um two different character points of view they will write all of one character's points of view all of the other's character point character point of view and then interweave that no I, I actually like the whole feel of jumping through back and forth in time or, you know, back and forth in character point of view. Mm. I heard someone say the other day, and it's just the best analogy for writers, I hope you like it, she said, when you're looking at structure, think about it like a mixed tape. So remember when we used to make mixed tapes? Yes. I mean, I'm eating myself terribly here. But, you know, you, you would do a progression in the songs and they'd yes. either be linked thematically or they'd mm. be like, well, I've done a slow one here, so I'm going to go really hard and fast and boppy here and that kind of stuff. So I kind of enjoy writing that way because it keeps me fresher, I think. I mean, you know, ultimately, does it work on the page? Well, that's what the editorial process is for. But in terms of writing it, I think it's quite handy. And I'm doing the same with the one I'm writing right now. I'm sort of mm. back and forth in different parts of their lives and different times and stuff as well. So that's kind of, yeah, how I like to write it. And with this book, did you, can you t- talk us through kind of like a, a a timeline of the writing? How long did it take you you know, from conception to when you started writing to the first draft of the manuscript and so on? So initially it started off as a completely different book. I had, for me, I often have um, an image or a character in my head that sort of buzzes around that sort of comes back and forth to me. So the, the character of Diana initially started off as a vision of a woman sitting in a cinema watching a movie on her own on a weekday so there was no one else really in the cinema. And I thought, hmm, I wonder who she is, you know, and what's her life and what's her story. So that's sort of where it started. And then when I started thinking about, you know, when that sort of was percolating and fleshing out in my in my brain, um, we were just at the beginning of the pandemic and there was all those really, and, and remember the days initially when people did really funny TikTok videos or there was orchestras playing to pot plants in the in the mm-hmm. auditorium, that kind of stuff. And and I was thinking about the fact because my eldest daughter lives in Edinburgh, not called Persephone like, <laughs> like the character. And uh and I was thinking about how people were really uh struggling with that sudden disconnection, physical disconnection mm-hmm. from loved ones. Um and and th- not being able to do anything really about that. And, of course, that's, of course, when we all started doing Zoom and blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking about 
Um, originally, this shows you how ideas go in such a big arc. Originally, I was thinking <laughs> I about it. Being, <laughs> being like an epistolatory novel where they were emailing back and forth and, and sort of having those two different perspectives of mother and daughter and their different experiences because my own my daughter's experience of COVID in Edinburgh was very, very different to what I was experiencing um, on the farm. We're in the middle of nowhere, so social distancing is what we do, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> um, it's a bit hard, you know. You wave across the paddock um and then I so then I started writing a longhand um writing oh. about this this uh, I have those really cheap I'm just looking at one now those really crappy two dollar scrapbooks you just get at office works or what office national or whatever and I buy like I buy them in like blocks of 10 and they have uh, a blank page on one side and a ruled page on the other oh, yeah. and that's kind of where I do all my drafting the freehand is really really good for your creativity and I write things in different colour pens and I draw things and I try and work out, you know, I'm trying to get into the character's head. I'm trying to get into the, I'm not so much worried about structure at that point. I'm just trying to, who are, who are my characters? Why are they here? What is, what is the story type stuff? So I wrote about 30,000 words. Longhand. You wrote 30,000 words longhand. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Got writer's cramp because we know who writes these days. Um, <laughs> and then I said to my agent, oh, I'm writing this story, blah, blah, blah. And she went, don't write about the pandemic. I went, oh. She said, because by the time the book is published, the, <laughs> the, the pandemic will be over. <laughs> um, and, you know, people probably won't want to, you know, it'll be dated. So I went, oh, okay. But I was so engrossed with Diana by this time because I have to say she is one of my all-time favourite characters that I've ever written. Um, I wish I was like Diana. <laughs> wish fulfilment, Diana. Um, and yeah, and so I just went, oh, okay. And then I opened up a new document in Word. So off, off, because I'd kind of, I suppose, explored all her backstory and knew who she was and knew what the relationships were. And then I opened a new document and I wrote a tagline, um, a short blurb, like maybe three or four sentences. Uh, at that time, it was called I Forgive You. And uh, and then I just started and then I just did, you know, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. And I kind of, when I do my chapter headings, I kind of go chapter one today, you know, Meredith's point of view or, you know, chapter two, uh, 1995, Valerie's point of view. So I kind of keep track of where the hell I am because, as you know, mm. when you're writing, it's very easy to go, well, what year was that? Mm. And then I just wrote, probably took me three months, and I just wrote a really extensive story plan, of fleshing it out as I figured out what was going on. Some scenes would be quite well developed. Other ones would be something needs to happen here, you know, mm. <laughs> like, you know, that sort of sense of you knew you needed the beat of a different chapter or whatever and then I wrote all of that and was ex wasn't expecting it to be 30,000 but there you go mm -hmm. and sent it off to my publisher and said just have a look at that and tell me if there's any gaping holes that she could see nope all good write it so then I turned around and sat down and duplicated that story plan and then but treated it as like chapter heading so that I would go what am I writing about here yep great and then I would just write that chapter so it would unfold so you sort of the good thing about it is that you do all the heavy lifting around structure and plot points and pacing in many ways in the story plan mm. so that when you're in the actual document in the actual drafting process you are fleshing out those ideas now it doesn't mean that you don't then go oh better idea than that or that's not it's really not working or any of that kind of stuff well, I had I had two chapters floating in the tricky art of forgiveness where I didn't know where they were going to go and I tried them as a prologue I tried it here I tried it there in the 
end, actually. It got constituted into one chapter, but also only a scene in one of the oh. later chapters. So it's, it's not to say that this is some sort of foolproof method and if you do this, your writing life will be so much easier. But it is easier in the sense that it's not so stressful because you kind of know what happens next. You're not doing when mm. I when you write pantsing, the problem always is, well, what happens next? Why did they do that? Yes. I don't know. I don't know. You know, and you can spend a lot of time doing that figuring out. Whereas that three month process, which is a lot of fun, I have to say, yeah. is highly creative, but equally um, the structural issues go away. And, and I would yeah. like to say too that the reason I did that is the very first novel I wrote, which was the second one published, The Making of Christina, that was nine and a half years. And, and I was Because like, you were pantsing? Pantsing. You know, I had no mm. idea. I had to stop and research. I, re I wrote it the wrong way. I had to throw it out, rewrite, start again and rewrite, all that kind of stuff. And I yeah. went, who's got the time? Like, I don't want to write a novel every 10 years. I mean, every <laughs> couple of years, but not every 10 years. I'm not, you know, I'm not um, Anthony Doerr, you know. I mean, if you, but mind you, if you produce Cloud Cuckoo Land as after a seven-year process, then, you know, all hail mm. to you. Yes. But, <laughs> but I'm not in that. I'm not a literary fiction writer. I'm a commercial fiction writer. And the name of the game is you must produce books often, mm. um, yearly, every second year kind of thing. So it's a luxury I can't afford. So it was an experiment to say, could I write a novel like that? Oh. And so, yeah, then I wrote the novel, sent it in, and there was still structural edit. Don't get me wrong. Like it wasn't sure. like every word was perfect. Um, it was it was definitely ideas that had worked or didn't work or whatever. And then there was quite a stringent uh, rewrite. Because also I should say, because I was on such a tight deadline, I handed in the first draft. You never do that, like, right, unless you're on contract, you're allowed to. But but I handed in the first draft. So I knew that I hadn't even read it. I was on such a tight deadline. You I had hadn't even, even read it. <laughs> hadn't even read it. I just handed it in. I went, I haven't even read this guy's soz. And, um, <laughs> and so, yeah, there was a structural edit, of course, and quite an intensive mm. round of there was a structural, then there was sort of a structural slash copy, then a copy, and then the proof and so on and so forth. So um, we'll go to woe. So I think I wrote the first, I wrote that story plan, you know, in three months before Christmas of, what, what year are we in? 22, 2020. I wrote uh -huh. it in that end of 2020. And then I wrote the novel between January and, oh, no, it wasn't. It was a bit later. It was maybe March and June to June okay. and then the editorial process, yeah, 2021 and, 21, and mm -hmm. then the official editorial process was between that June and Christmas last year. Yeah. Now I just want to highlight to listeners who are newbies that Meredith is an experienced author and therefore handing in her first draft is something that she can do. But if you're brand new, do not hand in your first draft, correct, Meredith? <laughs> um, also, also the other thing to bear in mind is that I was writing before I wrote novels. So yeah. I used to write a literary column, as you know, and I was writing to deadline every single week, uh, to deadline and word count every single week. And like you, I was reading a lot of books all the time. You had to really be disciplined about the reading and then, you know, then uh, sort of filtering that all into a, comprehensive mm. and cohesive document so I have I think when you listen to people like Jane Harper and stuff like that anyone who's got a journalism style mm. background or, or a freelance writing background 
in one sense has the advantage of knowing how to edit their own work. So mm. even though I say first draft, I'm not, like I'm writing at the moment, I always start my day by reading what I wrote the day before or starting at the top of the chapter where I want to make sure that the flow into that next chapter is working. So my first draft is probably a very clean um, mm. compared to other people's first yes, drafts. Yes, a brand but, new but, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> So please, please, please do never mm. hand in your first draft. <laughs> now, I want to backtrack a bit because after the first 30,000 words and then you got the go-ahead effectively, did you write the rest also longhand? I'm still stuck on that. No, 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 no. Life's too short. Um, okay. the, the other, I mean, longhand is really good for just getting the creative flow, yes, like yes. just to figuring out I what agree. you're doing and you, you can figure out all those tiny little details about the character. I mean, anyone who's read my work would know that I I don't really give you a lot of clues as to how the character looks um, unless it's through another character's eyes or it's germane to something that I've to do with their personality. But I'd give you a lot of gestures and ticks and uh, speech patterns and things like that to kind of give, to try and give people a sense of the style of that person. I mean, for instance, Diana is incredibly droll. And even when <laughs> life, even when like life. Like the ladies is, in the cafe, honestly. <laughs> maybe it's an ancient stage thing. But so, you know, even when, even when her life is going pear shaped, she still manages to find some humor in the situation. Mm. And, you know, her, I mean, there's a, a line in there about when her brother-in-law who's very touchy-feely and she can't stand it and she doesn't find him at all attractive either so it's a bit repulsive and he touches and she says to him have you not heard of hashtag me too you know like she's that kind of person rather than say piss off or whatever sorry for the language she just like <laughs> has this way of speaking so yeah. so that that time of that free writing is very much the time for mm. uh problem solving and even when I'm writing like on word so I don't use Scrivener or anything I just type it in word mm. um is I will if I'm really stuck I will pause and start drawing and scribbling and you know oh. doing that thing a little bit to let un unblock that part of my creative brain that needs needs help um and sleeping on it's always good too like I, I have a problem here I don't know what Valerie's going to do next go away we'll go for a walk you know garden bake a cake sleep on it and it's amazing how often as I'm sure you've heard 50 million writers say it will come to you. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so all in word, love. I don't. I don't handwrite. <laughs> okay. I handwrite my novels. <laughs> that's insane. Some people do, but and I don't I know. know how that's possible. But I get what you mean about getting that creative flow going because it does loosen things up. Now, in terms of your kind of like your year, do you structure your year in a certain way? Because you're currently writing your next book, so that these months are for you know, um, the first draft, these months are for my edits, these months are to do promo, these months are to um, start the next book. And and have you typically always got the idea for the next book, you know, while, you've, while you're doing the previous one? Yeah, absolutely. I've got the next book already. So I'm finishing one, hopefully, in the next two days, due on Monday. Um and already the next idea is formulating oh. and, and having conversations with me about what that's going to look like. So I just jot a few notes down and go, oh, yeah, that's um, – you've just reminded me. I wrote a note last night about solving this scene, plot scene problem <laughs> while I was cooking dinner. <laughs> Oops, must go back to that. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 yes, 
I structure my life. I'm a very disciplined mm. person. And if I would say when you look at all the writers who are producing, uh, you know, quality work consistently, it's it's what Di Morrissey calls bum glue. You know, it is yeah. sitting down and being disciplined. I was usually after a couple of days, I start my week and I'm right, you know, a couple of thousand words, no worries. And then I'll usually hit a patch like Wednesday where I go, I don't want to when I get all really like, <laughs> and, you know, easily distracted mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So, that, you know, but I have an Excel spreadsheet, which it keeps me accountable for, and I know a lot of writers do, but, you know, you have that spreadsheet that says you need to write X amount of thousand words this week, tra-la-la, and you keep track of it so that you're constantly pushing yourself to go, I only have to write another 203 words to make my word count for today. Come on, sit down, do it. Okay, um, well, what is your word count? No, no, so on the Excel spreadsheet, I'm fascinated by this, um, <laughs> how is that divided up, by a daily thing or a weekly thing? or And what is your goal for each so, day or week? So when I start a new book, I will set up an ex- a spreadsheet and typically I'm on contract, so I know when it has to be handed in. Yes. And I know roughly that I need like 10 to 12 weeks if I want to keep my sanity to to write that I'm, I'm talking not I'm not talking the story plan now I'm actually talking writing the book yeah. um and so and then I just divide 100,000 by the number of weeks I have I divide that number by by five days a week um knowing that later in the process that will become six days a week because yeah. <laughs> something always goes wrong sure. um and and so you know I'll have like week one commencing whatever the date is day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, 2,000, 2,000, 2,000. And then I keep track of starting word count, finishing word count, what I wrote that day. And to be completely nerdy, I also then rank my day. So if I have a day where I blow it out of the park and it's a 3,000 something or other day, that might be my best day. So that's one. And then I, tr- I start ranking my top 10 days across all those weeks. And that, that might sound really bad, except what it forces you to do is then you go, if I just wrote another 300 words, that this would be my 10th best day out of the whole writing process. And so... <laughs> it's part of my forcing myself to stay in the chair you see and so over the like I'm looking at over there but it's actually not on the screen but if I look at that screen and I can go I don't feel like all the usual thing we tell I'm tired or you know whatever you sit there and go it's only another 300 words come on and so it it forces me back to the moment um and I you know I have a timer on my phone so I've forced myself to write in 30 minute increments get up have a break as well so because you can't sit all day this is the writer's nightmare everyone complains about backs or knees or hips or whatever's so I force myself to get up every 25 30 minutes and go for a five minute wander you know hang a load of washing on make a cup of coffee la la whatever or even just go and stand out and not look at a computer screen for five minutes. Um, just to, it, keep, it makes it easier to have the energy to write for an entire day rather than like normally three or four hours you're like, oh, I'm bored, I'm tired, whatever. Yes. It's- wow. So does that not stress you out to have a time, a 25-minute or 30-minute whatever timer and then you're in the middle of something that you're really going for it and uh, writing rise and then you're thinking, oh, no, it's going to go off any second. 
No, no, no. I just ignore out? it. No, no, I just okay. ignore it. If I'm if I'm right in the middle of that, oh, finally I've got the brainwave moment. Right. No, I don't. I will. I'll keep going just to get that to happen. Um, but no, I mean, but if you're sitting there going, oh, some days the words just fly off your fingertips. Yeah. And other days it's like drawing teeth, you know. And but the weird thing is, you can go back and read. As I said, I go back and read what I wrote the day before and I could mm. have had a shocking day where every word made you know it was like drawing blood and you can't even tell on the page right even yes. though even though for me it felt terrible and other mm. days you can write like the, you know the winds in your sails and mm. it's not necessarily better and sometimes it's often worse so there's mm. there's that element of it and yes I do block out um, so, so, for instance, I'll hand this novel in on Monday. I've got th- I've got three to four weeks off before I'll hear I'll have a conversation with my editor about the structural problems. Yes. <laughs> of course, there won't be any. Oh. <laughs> um, and then I'll go back to rewrite it. So it's very kind of so in that time. Well, in this particular break time, I will actually be doing last year's tax because I haven't done it yet. So you know, <laughs> real world problems. But I will also take the time to start writing out this next novel story plan and start mm. to really start to get that on the page. And in the gaps in between the editorial process, because as you well know, it's structural copy proof finals, mm. um, there's usually a two to four week gap in between each of those stages. That's when I'll write the story plan for the next novel. And then um, that will then allow me to write some pithy blurb and tagline that I can send to my agent and publisher so that they can take it to the sales meeting and go, mm. this is what her next novel's about kind of thing. So it's very, very different to when you have your very first novel published clearly because you're a no, unless you're, you know, someone famous already, it's so different. The process is very different when you're established in-house with a publisher and they would love you to produce a book a year or whatever it mm. is. Um, where and they but and part of that reason though I think it's really important for people who go oh my I've got no hope it'll never happen is is your known quantity they know mm. they can throw an edit at you and say four weeks and you go oh my lord like my last the edit on tricky art was four weeks and I did seven days a week 12 to 14 hours a day to meet that deadline oh my and, god yeah to get it done um because there's no I just couldn't and, and the structural edit's the hard edit, you know. That's when yeah. you're still really in the zone with that book and you really have to answer all the hard questions about why did she do this, why didn't she do that, and, you know, la, la, la. Well, by the time you get to copy edit and proofing, it's often it's the smaller things that have slipped through. Like I, when we're doing the proofread for, for Tricky Art, suddenly I noticed, and I had used the word magic or derivatives thereof, oh, probably 15, 20 times. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, that's when you, you know, it's like the tide goes out and you start to see what's left on mm. the shore. So, but that structural edit, you're still in the water. You know, you're still yes. like, yeah, how am I going to do this? So, but when you're an established author, um, they know you can do it. So there's yes. less, in one sense, there's less pressure on you to produce a fabulous first draft or, you know, the, the thing you hand in, the first, mm. in my case, the first draft, then there would be when you're trying to prove that you can edit your, see, mm. what they don't know about you when you're a debut is can she edit her own work? Yeah. Yep. And yep. a lot of writers can't. Yes. Um, and, it, and it is a completely different skill set to creating the work. Mm. And so it's a very different part of your brain, which is why I don't 
particularly edit as I write. I know a lot of people do. I know Michael Robotham does. I know mm. Kylie Ladd does. Ben Hobson does. I can't do it like that. I need the flow. I need to have the energy in the writing. And then I worry about the fact that, you know, sometimes I literally do write if I'm in the zone. And then Valerie did something and I just keep going because I know right. that it's just it's just a reminder, a placekeeper, yeah. as we call them, a placekeeper to remind me to think about what is she doing as she's speaking or mm. what is she feeling as she's speaking or is there a disconnect between the words coming out of her mouth and what she really means or think, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it's... um. So when you are going through the structural edit and you get the feedback, do you think oh I can't believe I didn't see that or are you kind of really just going oh yeah I'm glad they picked that up I knew there was something wrong <laughs> oh I think both and I think let's not forget that um even you know all people might go oh all those successful authors like you still have those couple of days where you're like well how dare they say that they've got my feelings you know all the stuff that you go when you go you know there's the two sentences the jam Mm -hmm. on the whole sandwich you know at the beginning of it go I love this book Valerie it's just made me feel this and it was one and blah 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 and but and then they're like (laughs) Rachel Johns put a TikTok video this morning the 17 page report that goes this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong um so uh, but their job is to nitpick it you know, mm. their job is to, and once you get over your your ego, because that's what it is, it's like when your feelings are hurt, well, grow up, sister, um, is you then have to go, well, do I fix all the easy stuff first, which is the obvious stuff you were just talking about, or do I drill in hard if they say, this is not working? Um, and often often I ease in by doing the stuff that's really easy, so I feel like I'm ticking boxes. Yeah. And, then, and then I'll kind of, once I settle down, it's usually like day three, I settle into the process. And, again, I just divide the manuscript by the number of pages and go, well, I have to do X wow. number of pages a day. Um, it's not sexy or exciting. I think people <laughs> in my in my own life I have people going, but don't you just write when you feel like it? And you go, I'd never get anything done. You know, when you're, when you're a published writer, you don't have those luxuries of mm. how you feel or whether it's working or not working and all that kind of stuff. It's it's hard graft. It's just hard. It's just as much hard graft as anyone else's job. You know, okay, not brain surgery, but you know, like it's it's not. You turn up and you sit at your desk mm. and you work and you and whatever else is going on in your life, kind of thing. So you just can't afford to be a princess about it. Um, and there's occasionally times when you push back really hard and go, no, 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 there's a reason for that and this is my reason. And I, even with this novel, there were several fights around, uh, you know, was that scene necessary? I would defend it. They would go, no, it doesn't fit Vonnegut's rule. So Vonnegut's rule being, you know, it doesn't advance plot or character. Um, mm. And I'd argue, yes, it does. Yes, it does. And they'd go, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Um, so, yeah, so you just, it, it, it's, it's a give and take process. But the best part about it, though, like I've made it sound really awful and painful, but it's collaborative. So it goes right. from being your idea, you know, your handwritten scribbles, the, the vagueness and whatever that's gone into creating that f- floppy 100, 100 plus thousand word thing. So suddenly you've got at least another set of eyes or perhaps two sets of eyes in that very early stage going, yeah, but imagine if this happened or that happened. And you can go back and forth with the only other people in the world who 
know the book at that point mm, and can actually advise mm. you on with and have, who are dis, emotionally distant from the book in a, in a way that you cannot be. So it's a really, really valuable process. And even though I can whinge about um, whinge about my ego, um, I, I do also simultaneously go, you know, slap myself around the face and go sit down and just bloody do it, you know, kind of thing. All right. And of course, finally, what are your top three tips for aspiring writers who want to be in a position where you are one day? Work hard, be prepared to work hard. Um, be prepared to take criticism for those who from those who know what they're talking about. Yes. Not, not it doesn't matter about your mum and your best friend and all of that, unless they happen to be, you know, a famous writer. <laughs> um, but you must be you must learn to take criticism well and you must learn to edit your work. It's a really critical skill mm. to be able to look at your structure, look at your plot, look at your character development, look at your character arts arcs. There's a lot of moving parts in a novel. You you can't necessarily do that all at once, but you must learn to do it because it's in the editing. It's in, it's that ability to drill down into why something is or isn't working, pacing, language, whatever, yes. that you really distill the essence of the story. The, the book that you hold in your hot little hands is thousands of hours of work. It's it's not these people aren't tossing out novels in you know over the weekend. This is hard graft. I love it. Fantastic advice and congratulations. Such a fantastic book, The Tricky Art of Forgiveness. Uh, uh, you know, thank you so much for your time today, Meredith. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Valerie. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you're serious about completing your own novel manuscript, immerse yourself in our inspiring and motivational six-month program, Write Your Novel. Filled with weekly workshopping and practical lessons, you'll receive advice on structure, dialogue and balance, as well as tips on publishing. This online program fits around your weekly schedule and you'll find extensive personal feedback from your tutor and classmates throughout the program. Find out more at writercentercomau slash novel writing. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Meredith. I love how she describes a novel as having so many moving parts, which is so true. And it's so important to be able to learn what those parts are and how they should be used because that's only going to make your story better, you know, rather than guessing and hoping that you hit the mark. Anyway, what are you doing in the coming week? I'm having a few mentoring sessions with members of our Freelance Writing Masterclass program and Copy Club, so our copywriters. And for those of you who haven't caught up with what's been happening on the Writer Centre Instagram account, I'm doing regular book bonanza book hauls, um, what's on videos, as well as behind the scenes videos from the centre and events and festivals and those sorts of things. So head over to Writer Centre AU on Instagram. In the meantime, also feel free to connect with me personally at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram, where I talk about all sorts of other things apart from writing as well. And do connect with me in the Facebook group, the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.